Michael in the shotgun. Takes the snap, drops back. At the Jet 25-yard line, looks downfield, heaves a bomb down the right sideline, Corey Davis behind the defense, he's going to score! Here is the Jet onside kick try, Braden Mann, bunts it left, it takes a hop, gets to the sideline, it's loose, there's a scramble for it, the Jets think they have it! They do! Flacco takes the shotgun snap and drops, looks up the seam, fires, caught! Touchdown! Garrett Wilson scores! Out of the hole to Braden Mann. The placement down. The kick on the way. Down the middle and good. Reset. Fires one up the seam. Intercepted by Ashton Davis. And that'll do it. Ashton Davis takes a knee. And the Jets will win it here in Cleveland. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks to Bob Wischusen for the great call on ESPN New York 98.7, the Jets' improbable win over the Cleveland Browns. Try to wrap your brain around this. From the middle of the 2001 season until Sunday, there had been 2,229 games in the NFL where there was a 13-point lead or greater with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. In all of those games, 2,229, exactly zero teams came back to win until Sunday. The Jets did it. Somehow, they did it. Incredibly, they did it. The 2001 is a reference point because the last team to do it was the 01 Bears, and and maybe not coincidentally, they did it against the Browns, but the Jets pulled off a miracle. We're going to talk about what it means for them going forward and how they did it in just a second. We'll break it all down, but let me just say that our guest this week is former Jets offensive tackle Jason Fabini. He played from the Jets with the Jets from 98 to 2005, and he's the only former player on this planet that was in the building for both Sunday's game and the famous Midnight Miracle back in 2000. We'll talk to Jason about that. Curious to get his perspective. But let's dive in on what happened Sunday. It was just incredible. You know, we love our analytics at ESPN, and I can tell you that right before uh, Nick Chubb scored that last touchdown, the Jets had a 99.9% chance of losing that game. And then when Chubb did score, which we all know he shouldn't have done, it remained the same. It was 99.9%. So the Jets had a 0.1% chance of winning that football game. And like I said, incredibly, they did. It was just a series of you know unlikely events put together that resulted in a thrilling victory. So I'm driving you know, to the airport on Monday morning in Cleveland. And I have a really very friendly Uber driver named Joe, uh, uh, elderly gentleman. And he was telling, you know, big Browns fan said he was watching the game on the TV from his house. He lost his electricity when the Browns were up by 13. And the time he got to his car to flip on the radio, the game was over and the Browns had lost. And he's like, what the hell happened? And I think a lot of Cleveland fans were asking that same question. It was just an extraordinary turn of events. I mean, I've covered hundreds and hundreds of football games. I would say that probably was the most bizarre ending because it just happened so quickly out of the blue. Of course, we mentioned the Chubb touchdown. He shouldn't have scored. 
if he takes a knee at the one-yard line, the game is essentially over. So that was a mental mistake by him. And, uh, look, the Jets capitalized. You know, did they get a little lucky? Yeah, they got a little lucky there because the Jets, I don't think, realized that as well. If the Jets had realized that, they should have let him score. But from the players I talked to, no one was playing that play to let him score. They were trying to tackle him. So it was just a fortuitous development for the Jets that he scored. And immediately on the sideline, coaches started telling players, hey, they just gave us a shot. And to the Jets' credit, they took advantage of that shot. Now, Salo is going to show that play, the Chubb touchdown, to the Jets on Fridays. Uh, he, they always take clips from around the league that could be used as teachable moments. And that play will be in this Friday's clip breakdown because that is a teachable moment right there. And, of course, they get lucky. You know, the the kid misses the PAT, the rookie kicker. And so the Jets are only down by 13. And then there's the Davis 66-yard touchdown, really, which, you know, was it was a double move. He ran an out and up. Denzel Ward, the great corner from Cleveland, passes him off. He obviously thought he was getting deep help, but the safety, Grant Delpit, was in the middle of the field. He was concerned with Garrett Wilson. And, and Davis is just wide open there. And, you know, credit to Flacco for seeing him. And also making that throw, that was not a short throw. That was 55 yards in the air. And uh, a wide open Davis scores the touchdown. But even after that touchdown, the Jets had only a 1.6% chance. So obviously things not looking good after that. So they try the onside kick. And, you know, those don't work in the NFL because of the rule changes. I mean, the odds are, I think there's a 7% chance that that onside kick works. So Braden Mann has a unique way of doing it. He just lays the ball on the ground. He kicked like this sidewinder. It almost looked like a Frisbee type of kick that was, you know, hard to catch. Will Parks does a great job. He smacks Amari Cooper, who was about to catch the ball. And then Justin Hardy, their special teams captain, uh, captain jumps on it. And so there's new life there for the Jets. They get the ball around midfield. March, uh, eight plays later, you know, it's uh, it's Flacco to Garrett Wilson on a, on a post route. The safeties were split so wide that Flacco recognized it immediately. And if you watch the replay closely, you know, I was watching the All-22, he let that ball go before Wilson even made his break towards the post. So it was, he was going there no matter what. He got it over the linebacker and between the safeties, a really good throw. And so right away, their win, you know, their win probability jumps to 75% right there. Now, here's a, a very subtle thing about that play that I don't know if you picked up, but Max Mitchell, the Jets' right tackle, he is one-on-one -on -one with Miles Garrett, one of the most feared players in the league. So Mitchell's got to hold his block for a couple of seconds. No, Garrett takes an outside rush. And Mitchell was able to just ride him out of the play just long enough for Flacco to stand in the pocket and deliver that pass. So Max Mitchell, the rookie, against one of the best players in the league, does his job. And also, Max Mitchell, earlier, an unsung hero, diving on a fumble deep in jet territory, Tyler Conklin fumble, Play got overshadowed because of everything else went on. But, you know, Max Mitchell ran about 10 yards and pounced on that ball. A very heads-up play by the rookie that maybe went unnoticed but really may have saved the game. And then, of course, the Browns get one more chance. 
They get the ball, and really they're one completion away from a long field goal, and the Jets decide to insert Ashton Davis, their seldom-used safety, into the game for that last play. It's his only defensive snap of the game, and why did they put him in on that play? Well, they went to a dime look and really a three-safety package. His assignment was basically to play on the outskirts of, on the periphery of field goal range. Just stand in the middle at field goal range and don't let anything get past you. So that's what he did. He's in the middle of the field. He reads the dig route to Amari Cooper. He jumps the route, makes the interception, and then slides game over. And the Jets take a knee for the last play. So great heads-up play by Ashton Davis. You know, incredibly, from talking to some players in the locker room, notably DJ Reed and CJ Mosley, a lot of guys didn't know that the Jets were up by one at that point. Some guys on defense were playing under the assumption that it was a tie game. They assumed that York made the PAT earlier for Cleveland. So it was a really weird, as C.J. Mosley said, there was so much going on. There were so many conflicting emotions flying around that it just made for a crazy sequence. And so the Jets, you know, they, they get it. It's their first win since September of 2018, they snap a streak of 13 straight September losses. They avoid their fourth straight 0-2 start. So those, and of course, the feeling in the locker room, I mean, you walk in, you just heard the deafening cheers, uh, the Sala players talking. You know, you see the video of Flacco jumping up and down. He's supposedly a stoic, unemotional guy, but you just saw the, just the pure joy. Of, of what a win like that could do for a player like Joe Flacco. And so I walk in the locker room and it was just, I mean, it's so much more enjoyable to be in a winning locker room like that than a losing locker room. And as we know, there have not been many winning locker rooms over the last few years. So let's just, I want a, a couple of takeaways from that game. A couple of big headlines come out of it. So the Robert Sala, of course, makes big headlines last week with his comment about taking receipts. And so you know, players coming out saying we had his back, yada, yada, yada. Well, come on, let's let's be a little bit realistic here. The Jets were one play away from losing that game. So for 58 minutes, I don't think they had Salah's back. Now, in the end, you could say it. It made a great story. But if Nick Tubb takes a knee at the one-yard line, the Jets lose. And Robert Sala, you know, is getting roasted another week. So Let's go easy on the praise about players having their coaches back. Now, if they turn this into a winning streak, then, yeah, that could be a turning point. I think the more significant development with Salah was his decision to stick with Joe Flacco. Fan base is screaming for Mike White to start against Cleveland. Even some media members screaming for Mike White. It would have been easy for Salah to dump Flacco after a game and make the popular choice, especially given the uproar considering his comments about taking receipts. But he sticks with Flacco because he's got a conviction about him, and it turns out great. The guy throws for 300 yards, four touchdowns, including two at, at the end there. Um, just a masterful clutch performance. His first win as a Jets starting quarterback, it took long enough. So if you want to praise Salah, praise him for that, for sticking with his conviction and riding with Joe Flacco. Now looks like a genius move. All the Mike White fans, what are they saying now? I, I don't think they're saying much because Flacco executed. He did his job. 
and uh, it, it, you know, it was really great. I mean, the guy's got 600 and ch- passing yards in the first two games. The last quarterback to have that many in the first two games, you have to go all the way back to 2006, Chad Pennington. So a great start for Flacco. He will start against Cincinnati. And then, look, if the Jets upset the defending AFC champs at home on Sunday and Flacco plays well, you got to ride with Joe Flacco. No, I think there's a chance Zach Wilson will be ready next week against Pittsburgh, but you don't bench a quarterback who's won two in a row. Uh, so if it's Flacco, I think I think Zach Wilson's got to take an extra week to get that knee right. So to me, that's, that's a no-brainer. But, of course, that will be a very interesting story next week if that happens, if, he's, if Wilson is, is healthy and – if the Jets win, there's a lot of variables there. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, another headline, Garrett Wilson, the first rookie in Jet history, Jet history, mind you, to have 100 receiving yards and two touchdowns in a game. That was uh, that was an outstanding performance by Garrett Wilson. I don't think we'll be talking and writing about how his playing time is being shortchanged. He was the focal point of the offense. So a lot of headlines to come out of it. A huge win for the Jets. Uh, give them credit. They performed in the clutch. I think it was really like almost like three games in one. I think for three quarters, the Jets were competitive. They played a solid game. They disappeared for the first 13 minutes of the fourth quarter. They played terribly. In fact, I tweeted that the Jets were out of their league in this fourth quarter, and they were. They were going down in flames, bad run defense, bad penalties. And then all of a sudden, the last two minutes, the crazy turnaround. So if you want to get on me for tweeting that the Jets were out of their league in the fourth quarter, go right ahead. That's a that's a second guess because they absolutely were. And the same fans who are criticizing me are probably the same fans who are going to be screaming for Joe Flacco to stay in the lineup next week, the same fans who wanted Mike White. So it's very easy to twist like a weather vane and go from one direction to another. But look. The Jets pulled out a crazy win. No one absolutely thought they could do it. 99.9% chance they were going to lose that game. 2,200 teams before them did. They were the ones that didn't. Give them credit for that. All right, I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. I happened to bump into him on the sideline Sunday. Jet fans know him, of course. He was a uh, fourth-round draft pick in 1998. He played eight years with the Jets, started 114 games before finishing his career with Dallas and Washington, a total of 11 years in the NFL. Of course, I'm talking about Jason Fabini. Jason, thanks so much for joining Flight Deck. Hey, uh, welcome, Rich, and uh, it was great seeing you on Sunday. And, uh, God, uh, uh, 114 games, it seems so long ago. Yeah, it was a great run you had with the Jets. The team had a lot of success during that period of time. And and so I, I'd love – I'm so interested to get your take on this because, as I mentioned earlier, you might be the only former player on this planet that witnessed in the stadium Sunday's game and played in the Monday Night Miracle back in 2000 against the Dolphins. And so first tell me, why were you at Sunday's game and what was it like just reliving that from the watching from the stands. Well, you know, it was a spur of a moment deal. I was, I have a kid that I coach at uh, plays up at Wisconsin. I was supposed to go up there and we somehow it fell through. So uh, my friend has a suite over in Cleveland and said, you want to come over for the jet game? And so I brought my 14 year old son. I said, 
Sunday morning, you want to go to the game? And he was like, yeah. So I talked, uh, Brian Mulligan got me some field passes and I go, let's, let's make a day of it. And, uh, what, what a day it was, Rich, what an exciting game. And it was, uh, maybe I'm a little luck for the jets. Maybe they maybe you uh, should come to more, more jet games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it was, uh, go ahead. No, I was just, uh, so you, the crazy finish, you know, we've, we've dissected the finish. So you're up, you're up in the stands or in the suite watching this and, uh, What's your take on it from a player perspective? Do you, do you think the Jets are, are done there with when they go down by 13? Well, you know, we almost left the game. And so we were, I was talking to the guy that was hosting the suite. So we ended up staying and we, I kind of wanted to almost get out of there to miss a little traffic and hit the road. But uh, so glad we stayed. My little guy wanted to stay and what an exciting finish. I mean, it was unbelievable. They missed the extra point. We get back, we get the ball, the long pass by Flacco. And then getting the onside kick these days is hard really hard and uh it was like the stars aligned there at the end of the game it was awesome it really was i mean i've seen a lot of jet games myself to me it reminded me of the monday night miracle just because of the sheer improbability of it you played in that game you started that crazy night at the stadium against the dolphins uh did you have any flashbacks you know uh i didn't really Till the next day, I was reading some of the stuff, and they were calling it like a miracle, and it kind of like you know, it, it is true because it was we were down so much that Monday night, and you know, half the stadium left, and you know, at the end of that Browns game too, the, the people were filing out of the seats, getting out of there, and I, I mean, even me too, I thought it was over. I mean, the the uh, probability of all that happening is, I think they said it was like a ninety eight, like a two percent chance the Jets had to win at that point. Yeah, it was actually nine, they had like a 0.1% chance at, at one point. Okay. So it, we're yeah. talking fractions. <laughs> uh, so it, it was wild. What are your, some of your most vivid memories of the Monday night game back in 2000? You know, I just think coming out, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the fourth quarter and Vinny's like, you know, let's just go out there and have fun and let's see what happens. And boy, what, what happened? It, you know, we just scored and scored and, uh, you know, the defense played good. Marcus Col Coleman, I believe had a, had a key pick and, uh, and then, of course, the you know the big plays, Jumbo's catch where he caught it like three times and fell on it, and uh, you know that was that that was a, that was pretty cool for Jumbo that that moment for him without a doubt. Do you? I mean, if you could compare, like, which do you think was more the, the wildest comeback? What happened on Sunday in the last two minutes, or what you guys did over the fourth of that 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 fourth quarter against Miami? Well, I think I'm going to, of course, say what we did on the fourth quarter against Miami. But uh, but on <laughs> Sunday, it was uh, the last two minutes to be able to do that. The, the onside kick, I think, is pretty, pretty tough to get these days. And it was kick perfect, and it was great execution. But I think that Monday night miracle was the improbable, especially when we were playing against the Dolphins, which is a big rival. So, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with the Monday night miracle, Rich, on that one. Well, I, I would expect you to – you are biased on that one for sure. But maybe you could tell our listeners – just as a player, like when you get in the locker room after a game like that and you pull off that kind of comeback, what is the feeling? I can't even imagine what that feeling oh, must be I, like. I th yeah, it's euphoria. It's great. I mean, you work hard and, the, you know, a win's a win. You can take it any way you can get it. And it's, you know, and, and I think it's going to build. It's going to give these guys confidence and it's going to build. And, you know, they got a big game next week with the Bengals coming to town. And I think they're going to be confident. You know, hey, we beat the Browns and, yeah. you know, even the circumstances, we won the game. You don't, you know, it's in the past, you win. So you go forward, and I think it's going to give them a little swagger and confidence going into this week. And the Bengals right. are down; they're they they've lost two in a row. So, 
Yeah, I mean they've lost. Uh, they've looked pretty bad too, losing those two games. So uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting on Sunday. Um, I want to ask you a technical football question because one of the stories, you know, in New York, you know, George Fant has been going back and forth between left and right tackle, um, and and he admitted it. It is frustrating for him to have to do that because of injuries. You did it as a player. You were drafted as a right tackle. You did really well at, at right tackle, and then they decided to move you left tackle one year. Maybe you could just tell our football fans just some of the challenges and difficulties that that presents when you move from right to left. Well, I think you're just used to something. And, you know, I, I was primarily a left tackle in uh, college. So when I got drafted, you know, no one said I could play left tackle, which was fine. I didn't mind. I played right tackle. Then Jumbo got hurt, and I had to move over to left tackle during the season, which it is tough. You're used to something. You're used to a different – you know, it's like you're right-handed, and all of a sudden, you you know, you got to go play the left side. It's, it's a little odd at first, but I think, you know – I always learned, and I think what extended my career is being able to – you've got to be able to be versatile and play in different positions. So I, I think, you know, the more you can play as an offensive lineman, the more valuable you are to the team. Which is harder, left or right tackle? Oh, without a doubt, left, I think. You know, especially you you get – you know, you usually get the best pass rusher over there. Not Not all the time, but I would say left tackle without a doubt. Yeah, and that's why those guys get paid more, you know. I mean – That's it, right, it, baby. It's, the big bucks. Yeah, so I'm I'm sure you're glad you made that switch to left tackle uh, going back there. It it, it can be oh, lucrative, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and you know it was a little thing too. Like you know, coming out of college, people said I couldn't play left tackle, or I wouldn't be a left tackle in the NFL. So I think there was some of that too. That hey, I I can do it. I want to prove prove people wrong. Right. You know, you, it's funny you mentioned coming out of college. I don't know if you know this. So you were the 111th pick in 1998. This I year, do know this. the Jets drafted Max Mitchell out of Louisiana with the 111th pick this year. Of course, he is there right he started. Tackle. And he's starting. Um, I don't know how closely you've studied him, but that is a crazy coincidence. <laughs> you know who sent me the uh, – it was on Twitter. Anthony Beck uh, sent me that uh, before week one. He, oh, someone tweeted it, and, and Anthony sent me that, and we, we got a little chuckle out of it. Yeah, he's done okay, Max Mitchell, for a guy who wasn't yeah. expected to start. You know, that's you know, a small school guy. I mean, you know, sometimes you just need a chance, and uh, hopefully he makes the most of it. Yeah, and, and he I did. mean uh, that is a great spot. One eleven. It's got a little history with the Jets too, Rich. So. Oh yeah, obviously it's a, a sterling history there at one eleven. The Jets <laughs> yeah. have they've done well. Hey, you you came right in as a rookie and started, and they obviously saw something in you, and then a guy like. Max Mitchell on Sunday, he's staring at uh, Miles Garrett across from him. What's that oh. like when, when you're a rookie in one in your second game, and you probably experienced this as well, and you're staring at one of the best players in the NFL across from you? What is that like? You know, it's intimidating, but at the it, you know maybe bleeding into the game. But when the game starts, you just go out. Of, you know, he he's he's a regular guy. You just got to go out and play your game, and you know you're going to have some bad plays. And I think the offensive line did a pretty good job on. Uh, on Sunday, the Jets for the Jets. I think I think they did. And yeah, they you absolutely. Just play your game. You got to go ahead. No, they they played much better than the first week for sure. And you know you just got to play your game. You know Miles is a great player, but you know that's how you make your that's how young guys make their name in this league is go out there and put it on the line, man. Yeah, and uh, and he also made a key play in the game, diving on that fumble that was uh, yeah. that could that could have saved the game. Without a doubt, yeah. Right place, right time, no doubt about it.
You ever have any of those plays in your career, Jason? Any like game saving fumble recoveries? Oh, I, you know, I think I might have had one or two, but, you know, I, I just hope whenever I did that, I was just hoping it wasn't my guy that hit the quarterback, Rich. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> so when the Jets, they pull off this great comeback and they win this game, like you're up in your suite and like, what are you guys doing? Are you celebrating? Or are you like looking at each other in disbelief? No, we, 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 so we were celebrating the guy. I know the guy really well. And, you know, uh, everybody up there was, you know, that was all brown stuff except me and my son. My son had a uh, 69 Fabini jersey on that I had to make him wear to the game. And then uh, I had a Jet shirt on. And, you know, they, they were they were wonderful about it. And they were kind of, uh, you know, same old Browns. You know, the Browns find a way to lose. So I said, hey, you know, I, I we celebrated and we had a high five. And we thanked everybody for their hospitality and we left. And I'm sure your your son is glad you guys made that spur of the moment trip for, to the game. <laughs> Oh yeah, he he was uh, he he loved it. He got to go on the field before the game. He got to meet Sauce Gardner, who I went to University of Cincinnati, and uh, we watched Cincinnati uh, Bearcat football pretty closely at the house. And uh, my son was a big fan of Sauce, and he got to get a picture with him before the game. So I kind of made his day. I always thought that you you should have had a nickname, Jason. Like Sauce has Sauce, which is yeah. like really made him so popular you, you, you know it could have been sauce for beanie or something you know of that nature you, you should have had a nickname when you were playing you know rich in hindsight i wish i would have even if there was like social media when i played it would have been it would have been a i, I don't even know how these guys play with all the social media and everything that goes on it's crazy i'd imagine yeah i get the attention is 24 uh, 7 no doubt but uh yeah. well, jason and i think that you. could be good, a good thing it could be a good, good thing. thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing. It depends. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Well, Jason, thank you so much. Uh, it, it was great seeing you on Sunday. It was great chatting now. I mean, I think Jet fans want you to come to every game now. So you have that miracle uh, touch that seems to happen. So maybe you should come out to uh, to uh, MetLife Stadium this, this season. I, I'm, I'm going to be out this season. I'm looking at the Buffalo game maybe, so. Oh, little, little that magic. would be very interesting. Come out for the for the heavyweight fights. So that'll be great. Yes. <laughs> All right, Jason, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me on, Rich. Thank you. Yeah, take care. All right, it's Twitter time. Thank you so much for submitting all these great questions. And the first one, out of the box, at Carmelo underscore Maluso. What was the more unlikely win, the Monday night miracle or Sunday against the Browns? You know, I was thinking of this as I was writing my story in the press box on Sunday. And, you know, I I think I compare it this way. I think the Monday night miracle was kind of like an avalanche. And this was more like a tornado. It happened so suddenly. It came on so quickly. Whereas back in the day, that Monday night miracle, it kind of like started and gained momentum and started rumbling. And so that's how I, if you can picture that visual, the avalanche and the tornado. Back then it was 30-7 to at the start of the fourth quarter. And the Jets actually tied that game with three minutes to go before winning in overtime. Both incredible comebacks for sure. But I think Sunday might have been unlikely just because, more unlikely because it happened so quickly. At Brendan 9904 Rich, I'm surprised the Jets have been throwing so much with Flacco. 
while the other while the run game actually has been successful too, does this continue when Zach Wilson returns? You know, the Jets lead the league in pass attempts with 104. Interestingly, the Bengals are second. Uh, they're about 15 or 16 behind. Circumstances have dictated that the Jets throw the ball because they've had some catch-up situations, but I think it's way too much. They've been too pass-happy. Even with Flacco at quarterback, I think they need to get back to their roots, which is more of a 50-50 attack, especially when Zach Wilson returns. You do not want to expose your young quarterback coming off a knee injury to that much passing. So balance is going to be critical. At Kima underscore senior, and his question is, is Rich, uh, Rich, is Garrett Wilson already the best receiver on the team? And should they explore trading Corey Davis? It's interesting that you mentioned that on the SNY pregame show Sunday. I noted that there is an NFC team that is keeping an eye on Corey Davis. And it wouldn't shock me if the Jets get a call before the trading deadline with a team looking into Corey Davis. That trading deadline is in early November. Now, would they trade Corey Davis? Right now, I would say no. But we'll see how it plays out. You know, if they fall out of contention and they're looking for a way to get Wilson on the field more often, you know, perhaps they would look into that. But uh, I do know that there is uh, at least one team that might be interested. And is Garrett Wilson the best receiver on the team already? I think we need to tap the brakes a little bit. Obviously a fantastic start, but let's just see a little bit more before we proclaim him that. At Eric underscore Schmidt 14, the pass rush has not been great. Do you think that's just discipline, sticking to a game plan, uh, or is just just an alarming sign of underperforming? Well, against Baltimore, there there was a game plan. I think it was a restrained pass rush. They were holding back, you know, managing their gap discipline because of Lamar Jackson. You don't want to rush upfield and let Lamar Jackson get past you, and I think the Jets did a really good job of containing him in that game. Now, against the Browns, the Browns just a really good job of exploiting the Jets' aggressive pass rush. They did a lot of quick passing, some screens, some play action, really kept the Jets off balance, and I think other teams are going to go to school on that tape. Bottom line is the pass rush has not performed. They're 30th in pass rush win rate, 30th in pressure percentage, 22nd in sacks per dropback. No defensive lineman has a full sack. Quincy Williams, a linebacker, is the only player on the team with a full sack. Everybody's pressure percentages are down. Carl Lawson has the highest, but even his isn't great. I think this could be the week they break out. Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times already. He likes to hold the ball. He's very patient. He doesn't mind getting hit if he can wait for a play to develop. So this week, perhaps the breakout game for the Jet Pass Rush. Okay, the next one from at Chad Ham's question is, in an alternate reality where the Jets don't mount that comeback on Sunday, do you think there may be may have been pressure to play Zach Wilson next Sunday and just this buy them an extra week? Uh, let me just say this. There was no chance that Zach Wilson was going to play against Cincinnati this week. That was never a possibility. It's always been Pittsburgh the earliest. Now, that depends on, number one, his health. He has to be cleared by the doctors. And we're talking about a lot of doctors here, folks. The Jet doctors and Zach Wilson's doctors. So there's an extra layer, and that always complicates things a little bit. There's also the performance angle to this. If, 
If Joe Flacco has another great game and the Jets win, maybe you take that extra week. Very interesting decision coming up for the Jets next week. At Heisenbald, why is Jacob Martin above Bryce Huff on the depth chart? Martin has a 36.3 pass rush grade so far this season from PFF. Well, you know how I feel about PFF grades, but actually it, it is accurate in this case. Jacob Martin has not been good as a pass rusher. No one has been on on a defensive line, as we just talked about. The reason he's playing above Bryce Huff, who's been inactive the last two games, is Robert Sala said he wanted bigger bodies in the defensive line rotation because they were facing strong running teams. The thing is, Martin is not really a bigger body than Bryce Huff. The reason he's playing over Huff, in my opinion, is that $6 million guaranteed that Jacob Martin got in free agency. That's the reason he's playing over Bryce Huff. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it just comes down to that. Next one, at 21 Guns for you. Are you happy or sad about the Jets' win? 21, here's the deal with sports journalists, and I speak for all sports journalists here. We always root for the best story. So we're selfish. We root for the best story because we want to tell the best story. On Sunday, the best story was the Jets winning that game in improbable fashion. So that made for a really, really cool story to write and report. So, yeah, I was happy about the Jets' win. The next one from at EDU one Question is, did you already have a Jets Lose article written halfway through before the impossible happened. What's it like as a beat writer to adjust on the fly due to improbable events? Any good stories about that? Uh, well, I mean, the most obvious story, we just talked about it, was the Monday Night Miracle. I had to rewrite my story three times that night for the New York Daily News before it finally ended at 1.15 in the morning. Now, in my current role at ESPN, I don't often write running stories. A running story is something that we write as the game is going on. Luckily, I don't do that much anymore, but they are very stressful to do because things change. In this case, it happened so quickly that it was very stressful for those other beat writers to change on the fly. So uh, you always try to anticipate, but sometimes it's hard to anticipate when something comes out of the blue like that. So it definitely adds to the gray hair factor. Now, let's uh, look ahead to Sunday. The Jets are hosting the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals, who are 0-2 and are the first team in the Super Bowl era to lose their first two games on the final play of the game. Really weird start for the Bengals. They have not played well. Joe Burrow has struggled. Team has had no first-half touchdowns. That's troubling. They lost by a field goal to Pittsburgh and Dallas, You know, neither of which is a great team, neither of which has great quarterbacks. I think we're seeing a trend develop against this Cincinnati offense. Teams are using a lot of cover two against them to uh, take away that big play element. Uh, that's interesting because the Jets are not a cover two team. That is not one of their staple coverages. So curious to see how they uh, game plan for that. We know the Bengals won't take the Jets lightly after what happened last year in the Mike White game. I do not expect that to happen. The Jets are coming in this game full of confidence with some momentum. But I'm going to pick the Bengals here. And the reason is because uh, desperation. They uh, they know that if they fall into an 0-3 hole, it's going to be extremely difficult to get back into contention. 
So that's number one. They're a couple of plays away from being 2-0. and So I think they're probably better than, than their results. And let's face it, the Jets were one play away from being 0-2. And I think the winning sometimes camouflages some flaws. And right now the Jets' run defense is not good. We've talked about it. The pass rush is not where it should be. The defense is not playing as well as it should at this point. So that concerns me, this matchup. So that, coupled with the desperation factor with Cincinnati, is a reason why I'm going to go with Cincinnati here, 27-20. I really wanted to pick the Jets in this game, but I'm trying to look at it objectively, and I see I see them losing a tough one at home here with Cincinnati. We'll see. Last week, I did pick the Jets by one. I did obviously did not anticipate it unfolding the way it did, but I had them winning 20-19. to That's just a rare, you know, squirrel finding an acorn type of blind squirrel finding an acorn type of situation but i'll take it but this week looking at it objectively i'm going to go with cincinnati here and uh jets dropping to zero and two uh one and two want to thank our guest jason fabini for popping in really appreciate it thanks of course to producer jeff scopin enjoy the game on sunday i expect to see a raucous crowd at metlife stadium and we'll talk to you next week on flight deck